You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you as we continue our series uh, on the book of Acts of of becoming the church. Uh, It'd be really great if Jesus had uh, given uh, a 32-point uh, plan of how to plant churches, uh, but Jesus didn't. He poured out the Holy Spirit on the disciples, and the, then he ascended to be with the Father. So the book of Acts is a study on how uh, these first apostles and disciples figured out how the church was to be the church. What does it look like for the church to be the church? Last week we talked about Rabbi Gamaliel, and when there was tension between Peter and some of the apostles and the Jewish teachers, uh, Gamaliel gave us some really interesting advice. He said, uh, if it is not of God, then it will die. But if it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow it. Uh, so in essence, you know, Gamaliel didn't say go and follow them and do what they're doing. It, it looks pretty rad. And he says, if what they're doing is not of God, uh, don't worry, uh, it will die away. And what, if, and, and, and what they are doing, if it is of God, then you won't be able to overthrow it. So stop pushing against it. But today we we, we talk a little bit about uh, Paul. Paul enters the scene today. Our text today is the very tail end of Paul's conversion. Uh, The book of Acts, uh, uh, in in large part, was written uh, because Peter and Paul were not seeing eye to eye on, on what the church was and who the church should welcome and what the church should become. And the book of Acts helps um, uh, turn down the heat on the tension that was between Peter and Paul, uh, in large part, uh, which is why the, the first part of uh, the book of Acts is about Peter primarily, and the second part of the book of Acts is about Paul primarily. So it's a document written to show how the church came to be, but also uh, to lower the tension between Peter and Paul, these two great figures of our faith. So our, our text today <coughs> is Acts chapter 9. Verses 17 through 19. It will be on the screens and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. So, Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. (laughs) Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Saul um, was a student of Gamaliel Later in the book of Acts, when, when, when Saul uh, was being uh, persecuted and put on trial, he mentioned that he would often lay at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of his teachers, uh, as Paul was learning to be a Pharisee. The same Gamaliel who said, if it's not of God, leave, uh, it'll die. And if it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow it. Interestingly, Saul did not take Gamaliel's advice, at least early on. Because we see in the book of Acts, Saul was one of the great persecutors of the church. He was searching around uh, the villages and the towns looking for Christians to round them up. And scripture says that, that, that Saul uh, was at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. It said that Saul held the coats and he approved of them murdering him. So at least initially, 
Saul did not follow this teaching of Gamaliel. But as we walk through the book of Acts, we will see how this teaching began to permeate Paul's own understanding of the activity of the Holy Spirit. So, (coughs) should the voice allow, uh, let's back up. In in Acts chapter 6, the church was growing so rapidly that the 12 apostles decided to appoint seven additional uh, followers uh, to be in charge of the mission. Uh, they said that the 12 of us, uh, we need to be uh, working on the word of God and teaching and interpreting, uh, but we need someone to facilitate the mission of the church, uh, which was primarily uh, uh, assisting widows and orphans. They needed some folks to do that, so they appointed seven people to do that, two of whom play a larger role in the book of Acts, Stephen, who was the first martyr, and Philip, who we'll talk about in just a moment. So Philip was brought into the church in Acts chapter 6, uh, maybe a little wet behind the ears, and he started serving. He was, you know, in other words, he was appointed to the mission team to go do the mission of the church and to lead the mission of the church. But then when we turn to Acts chapter 8, we discover that Philip is now going out and evangelizing. In fact, Philip goes to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and he runs across someone named Simon Magus, or Simon the Magician, probably from Gryffindor, but he was Simon the Magician. I made that part up. It's not in the Bible. Don't, don't write that email. It's fine. Um, but he was a magician in, in, in Samaria, and, and, and Philip goes there, and, and he evangelizes. He offers the word of God, and, and uh, Simon is baptized, and he converts. And Philip, he, he has these signs and wonders. He is, he is healing people. He is excising demons. Uh, and all is well and good, except, except that's not what they told Philip to do. They, they appointed Philip to the mission team, not the evangelism team. So word got back to Jerusalem of what Philip was doing, you know, evangelizing the Samaritans. Because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Like, what are you doing, Philip? So Peter and John were sent from Jerusalem to go check in on what Philip was doing. I would love to say that they sent Peter and John to affirm and to celebrate what Philip was doing, but that's not quite what Scripture says Peter and John did. So Peter and John were sent, like, hey, Philip, this is great. You're doing these really cool things, and you're exercising demons, and you're baptizing people. That's great. But then they found out that Philip was baptizing only in the name of Jesus, not using the Trinitarian formula of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I could see, you know, Peter saying, ah, geez, Philip, you're doing so good. So Philip and John re-baptize everyone, laying hands on him so that they might have the Holy Spirit as well. Then after this, Simon Magus, who's had this conversion experience, he was a Samaritan, uh, and he was converted and was baptized in the name of Jesus and then re-baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, He goes to Peter, he says, Peter, this is really powerful stuff that you're doing. You're laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit. I want that. I'm a magician, after all. I want that for me so I can add it to my occupation. This is Peter's response. (laughs) This is Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 24. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. 
For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Wow. Right, wow. And this is Simon the Magus. Uh, Simon Magus said back to him, pray, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may happen to me. Right? I, I would say something similar. Like, okay, well then shoot up a prayer for me too. That sounds awful. Here we begin to see, interestingly, we begin to see the institution of church being formed. It wasn't enough that Philip went out and evangelized and shared the name of Jesus and baptized. Uh, when he was doing that, it didn't quite fit the understanding of the Jerusalem church of what it, that was supposed to look like. So they sent Peter and John to go check on him. Um, in other words, Peter and John were kind of like on the board of ordained ministry and they were just checking in to see how their candidate was doing uh, out in the field, right? Uh, and they said, Philip's so close, so close, but we have to rebaptize everyone. You were, you're so close. Uh, but then Peter has this very, <clears throat> I don't want to say it's a negative, it was a very short reaction. Uh, to this. And Peter seems to be suspicious of the Gentile mission. And that will come back later as we walk through the book of Acts when Peter starts a Gentile mission. Uh, when, excuse me, when Paul, when Paul starts his Gentile mission, Peter really pushes back on this. So after this, after this, Philip was whisked away by the Holy Spirit. We're not quite exactly sure what that is or what that means. He was whisked away by the power of the Holy Spirit and he found himself to be with an Ethiopian eunuch. And it doesn't matter what, what culture uh, of which you are a part, an Ethiopian eunuch was on the outside. So in this first bit of Acts chapter 8, a Samaritan was welcomed in. So Jews and Samaritans were coming together. God's grace is quite amazing. These people who worshipped in different places, they were kind of like cousins. You know that one cousin that you see every year at Thanksgiving, that when they walk by you quickly eat some turkey so that you don't have to talk to them? That's kind of like Jews and Samaritans. They, they didn't get along. They were both related, but they didn't see eye to eye on things. But here, through Philip and Peter and John, they were brought back together in communion with one another. Well, now God's grace goes over and above itself again. And Philip is whisked away and he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading uh, the book of Isaiah. Keep in mind, when the book of Acts is around, there is no New Testament yet. When they're reading scripture, they're reading the Old Testament. So this uh, Ethiopian eunuch uh, is reading Isaiah and he asks Philip, who happens to be, by, you know, Philip is like the extrovert of extroverts. He sees a chariot and somebody reading. He's like, hey, what's going on? What are you reading? It's kind of like when you're at a coffee shop and you have headphones in, which means don't talk to me or bother me. You have that one. Hey, what are you doing? What are you listening to? Bada bing, bada boom. That's Philip. He comes up. Hey, what are you reading? And he's reading the, the, the book of Isaiah. And Philip says, well, do you have any questions? Like, I'm a Christian. Do you have any questions? And he did. And one of the questions he asked was, um, there's water right here. What's to keep me from being baptized? Oh, interesting question. Because according to Deuteronomy 23, chapter 1, the answer was, no, you can't. I will leave you uh, to look up Deuteronomy 23, chapter 1, or chapter 23, verse 1. The gist of which is, if you don't have all of the right pieces and parts, you are not welcomed into the temple. And an Ethiopian eunuch did not have all of the right pieces and parts. So by definition, they could not enter. That's why he asks, can I be baptized? There's water right there. Uh, Philip should have said, well, according to Deuteronomy 23, no. But then Philip gets down in the water with the Ethiopian eunuch, baptizes him, and the Ethiopian eunuch goes home in joy. And God is doing something really remarkable here. In the first part of chapter 8, uh, brothers are reconciled, Jews and Samaritans. 
Next, in chapter 8, the outcast is welcomed. But then God is not done. Now we're getting to the point of the story. Saul. Saul is walking on the road to Damascus, uh, not to evangelize, uh, but to persecute. To round up Christians and uh, bring them before the council uh, to potentially be stoned to death. And while he's there, right, you know the story, you've been to Bible school. There was a great light blinding Paul or Saul. Blinding him said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? <coughs> and I love how, how Saul says, um, who are you? He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know who he's persecuting. That's, that's hilarious. Who are you, Lord? I am the one you're persecuting. I, I am Jesus, uh, and you're, you're, you're persecuting me. And, and, and Paul is, is struck blind. And he's struck blind for three days. And we come to the real hero of the story, who is Ananias. Uh, Ananias, uh, God gave Ananias quite a job to do. He goes, uh, I want you to go heal Paul. And so what? You know, the one who like, was at the stoning of Stephen that was just two chapters, three chapters ago? You want me to go and heal Saul? Yes. So Ananias does. And he goes and he lays, he lays hands on, on, on his enemy. And I love how it says something like scales fell from his eyes. I love when the Bible uses the word like. So it gives you a, a real clear indication that you're dealing with simile. <laughs> something like scales fell from his eyes. Did that mean that, that Paul could now see clearly? Did that mean that scales of Pharisaic judgment are now being put asunder. Something like scales fell from his eyes. Now, sometimes we think that, that uh, Saul, Paul, uh, immediately started preaching and planting churches and going around. That's not, that's not the case from Paul's own words. He spent three years in Arabia trying to figure things out. He spent three years trying to figure out what all... He had given his life to persecuting the church. And now, he met Jesus face to face. And a Christian, who was his mortal enemy, healed him. And he spent three years by himself trying to figure that out. I bet so. I bet so. But then Paul comes back and starts planting churches. Now, fast forward one more chapter. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Paul... uh, uh, Peter, rather, back to Peter. Remember Peter's, Peter's viciousness toward uh, Simon the Magus, or Simon Magus, the magician? Uh, Peter then has this uh, vision and experience uh, from heaven. He sees uh, a, a, a tablecloth and he sees unclean things, and the Lord says, Get up and eat. And, and Peter says, No, uh, I've never eaten unclean things, uh, and I will not eat unclean things. And then he hears from the Lord, Do not claim anything unclean that I have made clean. And God says it, says it three times to him because it's Peter and Peter needs to hear it three times consecutively. Do not call something unclean that I have made clean. And then Peter, who was suspicious about this Gentile church, baptizes Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who is a soldier, and baptizes his entire house. At this point in the story, it seems all right. Okay, the church is moving. The church is good. Like, there, people are coming into the church, and Peter and Paul are doing fine. And they're all, we had the vision of the thing. Don't make it, you know, nothing unclean. Uh, everything I've made clean, don't call unclean. And, and, and Paul, his eyes, uh, he can now see, and he's planting churches, doing everything. It's all good. But then, as we'll see next week, Peter and Paul start to diverge. 
It all comes to a relatively peaceful conclusion in Acts chapter 10. It all seems good. And if Acts had ended at the end of chapter 10, it would all be good. But then we'll discover Paul starts breaking rules with Gentiles. Things that weren't explicitly expressed to him from Jerusalem. And they're left with the big question of, well, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? It's one thing to have tension between the church and those outside of it. It's another thing to have tension within the church itself. Both Peter and Paul, these patriarchs of the church, are disagreeing. What are we supposed to do? But that's for next week. Please come back. But to end, but, but to end uh, it's interesting how, initially at least, <coughs> excuse me, it's interesting at least uh, that Paul did not follow Rabbi Gamaliel's uh, advice early on, especially since he was at the stoning of Stephen. But later, but later, Paul, Paul pins 1 Corinthians 13, where he said, love is patient, love is kind. And then he goes on to say what love is not. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It believes all things, bears all things. And maybe, maybe the beginning of that is, is enough, at least for today. Love is patient. Love is kind. Paul seems to really lean into the teachings of Gamaliel, the feet, he's sitting at the feet of Gamaliel with this. Love is patient, love is kind. A question for you to, to wrestle with this week. Instead of love is patient, love is kind, I wonder what it would look like if you took your name and put it in the place of the word love. John is patient. John is kind. Or Denise is patient. Denise is kind. Or Susan is patient. Susan is kind. A couple weeks ago, I I talked about these words uh, in a little more detail. Patient. Patience doesn't mean you never get angry. (laughs) It says you're slow to anger. Right? And kindness doesn't mean just being nice to somebody. It means sharing something in kind. Sharing goodness that you have together. Kindness. Sharing kindness is finding the good that you both share and living into that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Matt is patient. Matt is kind. And maybe, um, maybe this is a sermon just for me. To be slow to anger and share kindness with one another. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, we ask for your spirit to be upon us. To forgive us for the times that we were not patient, to forgive us for the times in which we were not kind, but also to walk with us in light and truth so that you might be the way, the truth, and the life for us. Give us the courage to share this word throughout the world so that all might know the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.